listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. I am your host, Jeff Nyquist. I am a columnist for FinancialSense.com. I've written for WorldNet Daily and Newsmax. I wrote a book called Origins of the Fourth World War. That's how I got into this business of um, commenting on the news and, and trying to alert people to what's going on. And uh, I want to challenge everybody. And, of course, my interest is national security. My primary interest is the safety of my country. That's where I'm coming from. And today on the show, I'm going to start by maybe reading some letters in response to this program and and to my columns. And um, my column was about Russia, Russia preparing for war against the United States. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin put uh, bombers, strategic bombers, in the air around the clock. Uh, no particular reason except that uh, that he is preparing Russia and he's got his excuses for preparing Russia for war against the United States. And the United States on its side, the State Department responded with a, almost a yawn saying, well, if the Russians want to do that, that's fine. But we're living in a different era. There's no Cold War. There's no threat of war between Russia and America. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, in response to my column warning about Russia's war preparations, here's the kind of mail I got. Mr. Nyquist, do you believe that Russia is preparing for an offensive against the U.S. or preparing a defensive with an energy war uh, a possibility considering they have some of the largest energy holdings? That's from David Malone. Now, now David, I suspect that Russia is preparing for an offensive war, uh, but it's, it's for once the United States economy falls apart and there's social chaos. And, and social chaos, believe me, could overwhelm the, the defensive structures of this country because those defensive structures are dependent on money. We have a, a defense system that, that needs huge amounts of cash to stay operating. And so all anyone has to do is see that there's a financial problem on the horizon and to get ready for it. And, and you know, the communism, Karl Marx preached more than a century ago that the crisis of capitalism was an economic crisis, that the revolution that the communist powers would arise in response to that crisis. And that was preached in the Soviet Union and it's currently preached in communist China. It's important to know. Uh, another letter from a reader, a faithful reader named John. You make a lot of good points, but you miss something important. The military actions of Putin and Russia this summer are very simply a reaction to our, the United States, plans to install a missile defense system in their former satellites. Russia does not want conflict. Russia will always take the steps it deems essential to protect the motherland. The U.S. has seemingly ventured too far out there in its path of neocon-fueled world hegemony in the name of democracy. We need to rein that back in sharply. I'm sorry for the confusion, John. Military experts know that the defensive missiles planned to be based in Poland cannot shoot down Russian strategic missiles. First, the defensive missile batteries in Poland are deployed too close to Russia for that purpose. And by the way, they're not deployed yet. Uh, second, these defensive missiles are too slow to stop Russia's high-velocity, super-sophisticated missile weapons. The entire missile controversy in Eastern Europe, I'm afraid, is a propaganda trick of the Kremlin. It's nothing more. It is a great shame that Americans, as never before, are succumbing to enemy propaganda. And they're succumbing in large numbers. Another letter from a reader. Dear Mr. Nyquist, I enjoy reading your columns on FinancialSense.com. Regarding your question, the Russians are getting ready. Why isn't the American side responding? I'd like to play devil's advocate. 
Could it be that the Russians are instead responding to the U.S.? We're standing at Russia's front door and stalling anti-missile defenses in Eastern Europe. Countries that were once part of the Soviet Union are now members of NATO. On top of that, take a map of the Eastern Hemisphere and color all the countries in which the U.S. is based. The U.S. has surrounded Russia. America's civilians may be lost at the mall, but the folks in D.C. are doing a grand job of provoking the hell out of the Russians with our foreign and military policy. I don't blame the Russians for trying to remind us that they have a military too. And that's best regards from Patrick Coffey. Now, let's get something straight. Russia was surrounded at the beginning of the Cold War in the 1940s. It was called the Truman Doctrine. We surrounded them with bases to prevent them from committing aggression against the democracies and friendly countries, friendly to the U.S., that were near them. Countries like Turkey, countries like Japan, countries like West Germany. So the surrounding of Russia is not something new. The surrounding of Russia was something that happened because Russia was an aggressive dictatorship ruled by people, well, Marxist-Leninist crazy people. Um, and I don't just say that. Uh, one of the leading defectors from the former Soviet Union, from the Russian Federation, Stanislav Lunev, used those words to describe the rulers of Russia and the Soviet Union. He called them crazy people. He said, these are not human beings, these are crazy people. I take him at his word. And when you look at all the murders and all the, the killing, I mean, right now... Putin has killed journalists, he's killed defectors, this uh, poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in London last November with polonium-210, a radioactive isotope. The poor man died of radiation sickness, one of the worst ways to die, a total torment. Th these are the kind of rulers, these are the kind of people we're up against. You, you bet we better be surrounding them, but the reality is no, we're not. Anti-missile uh, batteries in Poland is surrounding them? Excuse me? Those missiles can intercept Russian missiles, as I explained before. And um, as far as the idea that Russia is reacting to our aggressive moves anywhere, long before 9-11, which, by the way, is the reason we've had this big reaction in the Middle East, the Russians started an alliance with China. This, this started as early as the 1990s. It probably goes back before then. It existed secretly. It existed behind closed doors. Let me let you in on a little secret, but it's not such a little secret because anybody with eyes in their head should be able to see that Russia and China have longed planned, long wished, longed hoped for the United States to be destroyed. Now, is that shocking? Is that, is that terribly shocking? That's shocking because, you know, Americans don't wish destruction on anybody. And I'm sure the Russian people and the Chinese people are innocent of this. We're talking about the gangster leaders of these countries. And uh, we've got information from defectors for 40, 50 years going back. But you know what? The American establishment that wants to believe that capitalism is going to run everything, that capitalism is going to make, make Russia peaceful and make China peaceful, they don't want to believe the defectors. They don't want to believe the testimony that Russia wants to destroy them, that China is dreaming of destroying the United States and supplanting it, and then dividing up the world between themselves. If Washington believed it, yeah, they'd be threatening Russia and China right now. They'd be threatening them so that they wouldn't dare move, wouldn't dare try anything against us, but they're not. The Russians on their side are getting ready. The Chinese are building up their forces. The Russians are helping the Chinese build up their forces. And then, have you noticed, there's a lot of anti-American propaganda out there in, in Europe, a lot of people turning against us. You think that's just an accident? You think we're really so mean and bad? that there's a reason for it. The Russians are killing people. The Russians killed more than 100,000 innocent civilians in Chechnya. Is Europe turned against Russia? No. They're anti-American. 
And, and the reason is, is that Russian propaganda has seized on Europe's envious imagination. And the same thing's going on in Latin America. Latin America's turning against us. Same thing's going on in Africa. Isn't it funny? The Cold War's over. When? When did it end? Tell me. Tell me, you deluded people. Tell me. Here's another letter from a reader. The hostility shown by George Bush, the tearing up of treaties, wanting to surround Russia with U.S. missile systems, is a clear message to Putin. The aggressor is the United States. And this reader doesn't sign his name. Well, when Americans no longer side with their own country in a dispute with a murderous foreign tyrant, you have to know we're in trouble. Here's another letter. Dear Jeffrey, oh, I love when they call me Jeffrey. I don't know, I, I sign my articles J.R. Nyquist, but they somehow find out my fir first name. I usually go by Jeff, but Dear Jeffrey, I have good reason to believe that China does only what is in its own best interest. I say that the Chinese army will invade Siberia because they are going to need the water and natural resources. It makes no sense for them to go into India because there is nothing there but more people. The water table in northern China has been dropping at the rate of 15 feet a year, while in the southern region, it is only dropping at the rate of five feet a year. The Chinese also have a lack of agricultural land and far too many people. Why do you think they have built an eight-lane military highway that leads into Russia? Best, James. This is a very interesting subject, James. You've opened a can of worms. The eight-lane highway into Russia, I'm afraid, is for carrying armaments into China. Sorry, James. Russia is arming China and has been arming China for over a decade. Russian scientists are helping China build better nuclear warheads. The Russians are selling China advanced attack submarines, destroyers, anti-ship missiles. By the way, anti-ship missiles that are especially made to sink American aircraft carriers. If Russia and China were really enemies, Russia would not be helping to arm China. If Russia and China were enemies... China would not be helping Russia establish a vast anti-American block of countries in Latin America, Africa, and Asia for fighting a future war with America. Now, would they? And there was an interesting speech that was smuggled out of China. The Chinese general, Qi Haotian, former defense minister, he stated that China had one main obstacle to its survival. And that was the United States. China couldn't take over Taiwan. It couldn't grab land from Australia. It couldn't do anything because the United States would oppose it. Therefore, the only solution to China's problem of a collapsing environment and a soon-to-collapse economy in which billions of Chinese would be put in a terrible position, I should say 1.3 billion Chinese would be put in a terrible position, they would have to take land from the United States. And he mentioned using biological weapons, and he alluded to a kind of attack against the United States in which the U.S. wouldn't know that the attack was coming from China. And he said that China must take this chance, even though American nuclear weapons could devastate China, that China was going to lose hundreds of millions of people anyway, and so that China had to take the risk of eliminating the Americans so that if it got away with it, it would have a chance to survive. It's only chance for its people. Um, a very interesting argument by General Chi Hao Chen. No, they're not moving into Siberia, James. They're um, looking at the really good farmland here in the United States. Now, here's uh, from my, my favorite fan, Larry Fike. Uh, he writes to me, You are such a homer. You are the textbook example of hubris. 
Other countries' people didn't do this to the United States. The United States is the sole architect of its own misfortunes. Stop blaming others for the stupidity of the United States and its fiat money system. Regards, you know, Larry. Larry writes me just about every week, and it's always the fiat money system that's the problem in America. Everything boils down to the evil of the money, paper money. No other evil seems to exist. Putin is not evil because fiat money is evil. China's rulers aren't evil because the Fed is evil. I'm not blaming other people, Larry. I'm merely pointing out the obvious fact that ideologues like you refuse to acknowledge, namely, that America has enemies, and those enemies have mass destruction weapons, and they're trying to find a way to use those weapons on us. And they're going to use them one day through a set of combination moves. Sadly, the missiles from Russia could be falling right now, and Larry would still be blaming the United States, the Fed, and fiat money. Your hatred of the American financial system, Larry, is so disproportioned and so deranged, you'd side with the arguments of an enemy seeking not only my death, but your death and the death of America. Good luck with that. Another reader writes in, You can't expect Russia to drop out of the arms race as long as America continues full tilt. You know, this is the kind of brief response that really makes me angry. Is there an arms race? The United States is currently eliminating two-thirds of its nuclear arsenal. Did you know that? Uh, the United States is not keeping strategic bombers on patrol around the clock. The United States is not aiming its weapons or its international rhetoric at Russia. The United States is involved in a war with terror. We're fighting bin Laden. We're fighting insurgents in Iraq. The United States is not thinking of Russia and China as its main enemy. The United States is not building massive nuclear-proof underground cities like the Russians are. America doesn't even have fallout shelters like the Russians have for sheltering over 90% of their urban population. The Russian war machine is being retooled. It's in the news every day, people. You got to watch the news. You got to read the fine print. You got to maybe go to the back pages of your paper, but it's there. And the Russians are using our technology, our money, and our friends in Europe to do the job. And they're undermining us across the board. Here's an example. This is a news story that came out. This is from the East Asia Intel.com, uh, dated August 29, 2007. And the headline is Russians working against U.S., NATO, and Afghanistan. And here's what it says. U.S. officials said the Russian government is working against NATO and the United States and Afghanistan through a collective security treaty organization and the China-led Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Moscow is seeking to impede NATO and block U.S. interests in the region, the official said. Revitalized Russian involvement is motivated by potentially large economic benefits as well as self-interest in stemming the flow of drugs and radical Islam from Afghanistan via its Central Asian neighbors, one official said. Th that's wrong, by the way, but our officials always get it wrong. Some Russians and Afghans are, however, voicing mixed views regarding the viability of Russia's strategy in this country and are urging collaboration with the United States and NATO. There are signs that Russia is seeking to return to Afghanistan after its disastrous intervention in the 1980s and wants to restore its influence, at least in economic terms. Among the vehicles Moscow is seeking to use are military and law enforcement training of Afghan officials in Russia as well as financial aid and investment projects such as oil and gas and mineral extraction. Russia may see collaboration between Afghanistan and the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, that's really an acronym for the Russia-China Alliance, uh, as a way to gain influence in the country and to combat the U.S. military political monopoly, the officials said. Now, so often the interpretation of U.S. officials is wrong. They know they have to color things to say that Russia and China are not a threat, 
because they know that that's just something the politicians won't stand to hear and the businessmen who back the politicians won't pay to hear. These laughable analysts, I fear they are laughable. If it wasn't laughable, we'd all have to cry. Uh, they write up these stories and they write up this analysis and always their attempt to make something that's sinister appear less sinister than it is. Russia is not only acting against America in Afghanistan, they are supplying insurgents through third parties in Iraq. Why are they doing that? They're helping to arm the Venezuelan madman uh, Hugo Chavez. Why are they doing that? They are helping the Syrians, sending advanced missile defense systems to Syria, advanced aircraft to Iran. They're helping Iran develop nuclear weapons. Why are they doing that? Everything to hinder the United States. The theme of the Cold War, the competition between great powers. The Russians were against us before the fall of the Soviet Union. They were against us during the fall of the Soviet Union. And they're against us after the fall of the Soviet Union. We got to understand that. There's a there's an article in the Washington Times that came out. Uh, it was titled "Cold War Redux" with a question mark. He should get rid of the question mark. It's it's Cold War Redux. It's not a question mark. August twenty second, two thousand seven, Washington Times. John E. Carey is the author of this. He says Russia watchers and military analysts say some of Russia's recent military moves speak louder than the words of Russia's leaders. But the words of President Vladimir Putin and others at the top of the Russian hierarchy have sent an icy chill through relations between Russia, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, and the United States. In just the last week, Russia reinstituted long-range bomber surveillance patrols of U.S. vital areas, including the military installation at Guam and our aircraft carriers at sea. These are the first routine bomber patrols since the Cold War. Another item. Russia said it would again deploy naval forces to the Mediterranean. This also was a return to Cold War-style military deployments and operations. Russia Navy Chief Admiral Vladimir Mazarin said, quote, The Mediterranean is an important theater of operations for the Russian Black Sea Fleet. We must restore a permanent presence of the Russian Navy in this region, unquote. Another item, Russia joined with China and several oil-rich Central Asian former republics that are members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization to conduct war game maneuvers. For the first time ever, Russia hosted Chinese soldiers in a peaceful yet provocative exercise on Russian soil. U.S. embassies in Moscow and Beijing said the U.S. had asked to take part, but was told any U.S. participation or observers would not be welcome. And finally, Russian President Putin and President Hu Yintao of China participated in a multinational meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that included non-member luminaries, oh, get this, such as Iran's President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Mr. Ahmadinejad ranted against the proposed U.S. deployment of missile defenses to Poland and the Czech Republic, a deployment also criticized by China and Russia. China and Russia have blocked attempts by the United States, the United Kingdom, and France to sanction Iran in the United Nations for its nuclear program. Diplomacy between Russia and the West is increasingly being overshadowed by military gestures, says Sergei Strokan, a foreign policy expert with the independent Daily Commerçant. It's clear that the Kremlin is listening more and more to the generals and giving them more of what they want. Said Mr. Putin to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization's largest ever annual gathering of regional leaders, Quote, year by year, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization is becoming a more substantial factor in ensuring security in the region. Russia 
like other Shanghai Cooperation Organization states, favors strengthening the multipolar international system, providing equal security and development potential for all countries. Any attempts to solve global and regional problems unilaterally, poke at George Bush and the United States, have no future. Unquote. Former Soviet members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization include Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Tajikistan. By the way, all those countries are led by the same people who led those countries when they were Soviet republics. You think that they're really independent of Moscow? The column continues. For more than two years, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, prompted largely by Russia, has called for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from two member countries, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan. Uzbekistan evicted American forces supporting U.S. and NATO operations in Afghanistan, but Kyrgyzstan still hosts a U.S. base. Further down um, in the article, Mr. Kerry writes, uh, Mr. Putin also said the United States was a reckless unipolar power. He accused the United States of making the world more dangerous by pursuing policies that led to war, ruin, and insecurity. America's new Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, said in a follow-up to Mr. Putin's speech, quote, As an old cold warrior, one of yesterday's speeches almost filled me with nostalgia for a less complex time. Almost, he added. One cold war was quite enough. Unquote. That's very clever. Mr. Gates has used that line before. But, uh, hey, it's all the same cold war. One cold war is, is all we've had all, anyway, all along, and we still have it. The thing that people have to understand is that the changes in Russia did not happen by accident, that the changes in Russia were planned, that the move to democracy was part of an effort to transform the Russia into a more effective economic machine for building up its military, for turning the tables on the U.S., for fooling us, for causing us to let our guard down. And um, I have a clip uh, I had uh, a few weeks back as a guest, my friend Robert Bukhar on the show. He's a documentary filmmaker, and he's been working on a film uh, called The Great Deception, and we have a couple clips to play. He interviewed Vladimir Bukovsky, the leading Russian dissident, and I want you to hear what, what Bukovsky has to say. So uh, listen to this clip. Bukovsky is describing the origins of the changes in Russia, that they're, they weren't spontaneous, that they were planned. So here's the clip. There are so many theories what happened, uh, some of them official uh, kind of a popular wisdom would tell us that people got fed up and uh, therefore they used the opportunity uh, presented to them by the reformist policies of Gorbachev, except there were some other factors which normally are not discussed. And if you try to discuss them in the West, they would look at you with disbelief. The changes were very well prepared in advance. It was done in the end of 70s, starting from the end of 70s through 80s, in particular under Andropov. The whole plan was worked out then. Gorbachev was not a creator of it. He was not a mastermind. Um, now, my book, I, you know, it's interesting. I started writing my book before the fall of the Soviet Union because I knew it was going to fall. And I realized they had a plan. Well, how did I know that? I was in graduate school at the time, and I was aware of a book called New Lies for Old, written by a KGB defector named Anatoly Galitsyn. And he had written that Russia was planning to change its system to a democracy, that the Communist Party was planning to give up power and the KGB would be reformed and its forces would be pulled out of East European countries. The Berlin Wall might even fall and on and on. He made these extraordinary predictions, as I said, in 1984. In fact, um, he made something like 140 falsifiable predictions in the book, according to researcher Mark Riebling. 
and uh, about 94% of those predictions had come true by 1994. It's very interesting. I didn't believe Galitzin. I didn't think that you could actually pull off a deception of that magnitude to collapse communism, but have it still under the surface, the KGB under the surface, controlling the collapse so that you could get the technology and the money that you needed to rebuild your old obsolete industry, your old obsolete weapons, cause the United States to disarm, cause NATO to fall into quarreling, cause the, the whole world system based on the animosity between the great powers to become disoriented, and then turn the tables on the United States, uh, get it bogged down in wars elsewhere, and come out blindsiding the United States at some future economic crisis. Well, there was another defector. And what changed my mind in 1987, I was reading a defector from uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, Major General Jan Sena, who wrote a book called We Will Bury You. It was published in 1982, two years before Galitzin's book. And he outlined a strategy that uh, was revealed to the Warsaw Pact leaders in 1967. He was one of the, uh, the Warsaw Pact leaders. He was the, uh, the commissar of the, over the Czech Defense Ministry. And uh, the plan was to dissolve the Warsaw Pact, to dissolve the communist bloc. Now, when I read that, I said, oh, no, this is the same plan that Galitzin describes in greater detail in his book. I went back. I reread everything. I looked at everything. I looked at all the angles. I did a lot of research and, and study, and I came to the conclusion. I had an epiphany. The Soviet Union was going to collapse. They were going to do it. So I started writing my book, Origins of the Fourth World War, in 1987. Because I believed that when the collapse happened, we'd fall for it. It was even worse than I'd imagined when you had the old anti-communists like William F. Buckley in National Review. And what were they doing? They were praising the fall of the Soviet Union. This was it. Ronald Reagan had done it. Ronald Reagan didn't do anything. He hugged Gorbachev in Red Square. They all congratulated themselves, but there was no victory. The United States retreated and equivocated the entire time. So I embarked on a kind of psychological exploration in the book Origins of the Fourth World War of this whole thing. And the number one thing that stood out and why this was possible, why a weak, horrible enemy like the Soviet Union could at all even have a chance of fooling the United States or, or turning the tables on the United States is because we're decadent. The United States has become a very decadent country. And, you know, it's interesting. Part of our decadence is shown in the fact that we don't care and we don't notice the facts and we don't read between the lines. And we'd rather, like some of my readers, believe enemy propaganda than our own. And, uh, you know, Robert Bukhar, who I mentioned earlier, who did the clip with Bukowski, he's very discouraged. And he was on this show a few weeks, and I like to play a clip where he describes his discouragement. How he, with all the work he's done, he's interviewed people, he's found witnesses to show that the KGB manipulated the collapse of communist Czechoslovakia. He's got a stunning testimony, and here's what he says about reception of his work. You know, at this point, I collected so much information that I'm really sinking in that thing, and I'm trying to make it somehow, you know, intelligible and, and pass this to the public in the film or even in the form of the box and, and try to pass the information in hopes that it will make any difference, but probably it will not. And public is probably not even interested, uh, especially young people. They have no clue, you know, what happened 20, 25 years ago and they don't really care. I can see from case with my film that any time I contacted media, there was a silence, you know, so nobody wants to vent this stuff out. 
people who run the country, actually, you know, they don't want to hear this because it's not good for business. It's very depressing. There are days when I actually don't want to even think about it because uh, I don't see the way out of it. You know, I know exactly how Robert Bukhar feels. And I knew it long ago because even trying to tell somebody that the Soviet system was based on deception. It was a system based on, not on cooperation or friendship, it was based on coercion and deception. The, the gun and the lie. And, and that this system is not like our system. People in the United States and people living in Western-type democracies, they can never understand it. They can never accept this type of thinking. You know, they don't understand that there is ideology or conspiracy behind everything, or can be. And they just think that everything is negotiable and you can deal with everybody, you know, face to face, which is, of course, not the case. You can't relate from your experience as an American or as a West European to what their experience is. You can't relate to their political thinking because yours is completely alien to theirs. Don't try to imagine that they're just like us. And, you know, I had an, a fascinating experience that relates this perfectly. I was in a restaurant in Los Angeles. I was working for AT&T at the time. This was more than 20 years ago. And I had a Czech waiter. And I was really interested, you know. I was kind of intrigued by Eastern Europe even then. And I, I said, gee, how do you like your new life in America? And he said, oh, it's great. He, he said, it's, uh, it's America so efficient. And I said, well, aren't you glad to be out from under the eyes of the secret police? And he said, oh, America has secret police, but they're so good you don't even know they're there. Now... That's very interesting. He actually thought we were being spied on by America's secret police and that America was just a much more effective country than Russia. So if they only knew. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the FBI is tiny. It, it couldn't even stop 9-11. The CIA, it drops a ball. It's, it's the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And uh, the idea that we have an effective secret police, uh, the courts would take away these people's jobs, they'd take away these people's houses, they'd take away these people's uh, retirements. If they dared to violate the Constitution, which, by the way, does not allow domestic spying by these organizations, except under very, very special circumstances. But um, modern decadence. Modern decadence is the reason for all this. And so the first chapter of my book is about decadence and about what goes up must come down. I mean, we've been a great civilization, but we're in decay. We can't keep going up and up forever. Something essential has been lost in our society, something very essential. And uh, that has allowed us to uh, elevate the sociopath and put money ahead of truth. And um, that's where we're at. And put entertainment, by the way, ahead of you know, doing our citizenship. My second chapter in the book, which is the other important element aside from our decadence and one of my readers blame me for blaming everything on everybody else. I don't blame everything on, on other countries in America. America's to blame for uh, its own stupidity, its own mistakes. My second chapter is about weapons of mass destruction. Here, let me read um, something from a Soviet military text. This gives you an idea of what weapons of mass destruction mean for the Russian uh, general. And all the Russian generals today, by the way, grew up studying this same text I'm about to read to you. It reads, the appearance of the nuclear rocket weapon radically changed previous concepts of the nature of war. Modern nuclear rocket war in its destructive and death-dealing potential cannot be compared with previous wars. 
Mass application of nuclear rocket weapons makes it possible within a very short time to force a country from the war or a number of countries, even those with relatively large territories, well-developed economies, and populations on the order of tens of millions. Pretty scary. I am Jeff Nyquist. We'll be back right after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Thanks for making WIBG 1020 a part of your life. We are Live Radio 1020, WIBG. Where more people every day hear the truth. From Hurley in the Morning to The Wondrous Story with Dave Bailey, Jay Sekulow live in the American Center for Law and Justice, and Josh Henning Afternoons. South Jersey's cutting edge Christian news talk and your station for women's oldies every weekend. WIBG 1020 and WIBG.com, plugging you into life. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. All right, uh, Jeff Nyquist here. We're back and we're talking about how I got into this business of uh, discussing the Cold War and warning people that Russia and China are still against the United States. In my book that I wrote before, I started writing before the fall of the Soviet Union to try to put this all together to understand why the West would succumb to the biggest deception strategy in history and why the United States would seem helpless to do anything about it, I wrote a chapter called East and West. And uh, actually, I I wrote this thing in the late 80s. It was published in in 1998. Here's a a quote that I give from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. This is from his book, Warning to the West. Here's what Solzhenitsyn says. He says, Lenin, who spent most of his life in the West and not in Russia, who knew the West much better than Russia, always wrote and said that the Western capitalists will do anything to strengthen the economy of the USSR. They will compete with each other to sell us cheaper goods and sell them quicker, so that the Soviets will buy from one rather than from the other. He said they will bring us everything themselves without thinking about their future. Now think, this isn't only happened with Russia, this has happened with China. It's happening with China right now. This massive trade with China, this deficit with China... Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you wonder why the Chinese are holding 1.33 trillion in U.S. dollar assets, they're not holding them so they're going to spend them one day. They're holding them the same way they're holding missiles and rockets and submarines and other weapons to use them to bring down the United States. And they can do that. They have that option. We have actually given our enemy enough of our own currency and enough of our own uh, treasury bills so that they can dump the dollar. How's that for stupid? Um, east and West. So let me, let me just characterize East and West. In the West, people think that money is power, that power comes out of money. Well, in the East, Chairman Mao said, political power flows out of the barrel of a gun. All right, let's, let's see what we get when we get these two things together. Political power is money on the one hand, political power is guns on the other. All right, so what happens? Do guns beat money or money beats guns? Well, let's see what the Russians say. They say, all right, you have all the money. We'll have all the guns and stick them up. We'll have all the money and all the guns. Let's face it, a dollar can't shoot. It can't uh, knock down buildings. It can't do these things. And, And dollars have their own vulnerabilities. It was Machiavelli that wrote in um, his discourses on the first 10 books of Livy. He wrote that uh, gold is not the sinews of war. I mean, you've heard it said over and over again that gold is. It, It really isn't. He said it's good soldiers that are the sinews of war. He said that good soldiers will always find gold. 
but gold will not always find good soldiers. It's a very important quote from Machiavelli, one of the great political and strategic thinkers of all time. So that, that sort of characterizes East and West, and, and there's a lot in that chapter in my book on that. And um, going to the next chapter in my book, which is called Fiendish Logic, you know, people think that, you know, there's not going to be a nuclear war. I remember I was I was giving a talk with Colonel Stanislav Lunev in Washington in, ni- in February 1999. It was before a bunch of government, U.S. government officials, and we had 33 current events showing that Russia was beginning a, a rearmament. It was beginning a war preparation starting in at least in 1998 that we could detect from things that were appearing in the international press. Um, and and China was, was cooperating with this. And we wanted to present it to these people. We wanted people to realize that there was a threat developing way back then. This is uh, eight years ago. And uh, I remember we were at the Cosmos Club and I was sitting in the bar in the Cosmos Club with Colonel Lunev and I was telling him, I said, you know, these people are not going to listen to us. I, I said, they do not believe that nuclear weapons are built to be used. They're built to stand up and look pretty. And he had this kind of look of horror on his face. And he said, but why? Why, why would they think that? Why would they think they're not made to be used? And I said, because if we use nuclear weapons, it would destroy the environment. It would kill all the whales and the fishies. And uh, he said, oh, who cares about the environment? And the way, you know, it's, it's if you, sort of the idea that if you control the world, well, you can fix the whales, you can fix the environment later on. You, it, the whole issue is controlling the world. And see, there's a different way of thinking about these issues in Russia, and, and Colonel Lunov was on the Russian general staff, than, than here in, in the West, in the United States. It's the same thing with the Chinese, same thing with General Chi Haochen's speech. You, you, you hear about this uh, secret speech of the general smuggled out of China, and American analysts read it and say, oh, oh the Taiwan Secret Service made it up. No, nobody could possibly think that, could think about wiping out you know, uh, 300 million Americans with biological weapons. That's, that's just uh, ridiculous. The Chinese aren't like that. They're not mass murderers like that, as if they hadn't killed you know, a hundred, hundreds of millions of Chinese, that same regime. I've got a uh, quote from uh, Clausewitz, the, the famous uh, Prussian strategist who wrote On War. He writes, Now philanthropists may easily imagine there is a skillful method of disarming and overcoming an enemy without causing great bloodshed, and that this is the proper tendency of the art of war. However plausible this may appear, still it is an error which must be extirpated. For in such dangerous things as war, the errors which proceed from a spirit of benevolence are the worst. Well, Clausewitz was Lenin's hero as far as strategy goes. And the same thing for the Chinese. They follow this stuff. They believe this way of thinking. And when you have weapons of mass destruction, when, when your weapons now can level cities and destroy whole continents, look at Genghis Khan uh, conquered in degrees of longitude and latitude. He, he exterminated whole tribes. He annihilated whole civilizations do you think that, that these people are any different? you think because they're living now in the 21st century that they've got some kind of uh, leg up on humanity, that they, that they feel for, for human life, the loss of it? No. Their countries were built on piles of corpses and skeletons, Russia, uh, modern Russia, and China, with their labor camp systems and their mass executions of political dissidents. We've got to realize in the United States that this is the kind of thing we're really facing. These are the kind of people we're facing. I remember I interviewed um, Harry Wu, one of the leading Chinese dissidents. He'd been in the Laogai, the Chinese gulag, for 19 years. 
And when I interviewed him, I asked him how he characterized the Chinese leaders, and he called them butchers. That was how he characterized them. And, and you mustn't ever forget that characterization, because it's the truth. He's speaking from first-hand knowledge. And um, what I write in my book is that from the perspective of military strategy, if you're looking to win the world, and you're looking at a strategic way of winning it, with the instrumentalities of mass destruction that exist, like nuclear and biological weapons, the great economic power is not necessarily the one who's going to win. Because suddenly you have the ability to wipe out huge economies in a matter of hours or days, which means that the economic power of the United States can be negated as a factor in any war because these weapons are so powerful they can negate it. And that means people over there who are better dug in, the, Ch the Chinese and the Russians have vast civil defense. And, and the United States, hey, where's your bomb shelter? And I remember there was a, a talk radio host in Colorado who uh, objected when I was on the air to my assertion that the uh, Russians were preparing for war. He said, well, we're preparing for war too. And I said, oh, are we? Where's your bomb shelter? We're not preparing for a nuclear world war. They are. We are preparing for a deterrence. There's a difference means we don't really take the whole idea of a war breaking out seriously. And that gives the other side an advantage. Not just a psychological advantage, but a real advantage. The United States has really, as a people, we've refused to understand nuclear rockets. We've refused to understand biological weapons. This is the whole reason our borders open. The whole reason 9-11 happened. And something worse than 9-11 is going to happen. I'm telling you right now, and it's not uh, rocket science to say that it's going to happen. And, and if you go back and you look at Vietnam and you look before Vietnam, the pattern in the United States is psychological unreadiness for impending wars. It's not just Pearl Harbor. It's not just in World War II we weren't psychologically ready. We're not ready for the next war. We weren't, weren't ready for 9-11. And we're still not ready for what's happening next, the sequence that happens next. And um, that sequence could involve severe economic crisis and social chaos in this country, which is then exploited by China and Russia, who are just waiting on this. And with the financial weapons and instruments that they've acquired by being allowed to engage in the world economy, they can throw a monkey wrench in that economy. They can cause a kind of chain reaction with all these very complex uh, financial instruments we have today for accumulating capital and credit, that, uh, that these things can be uh, used against us. They can be destroyed and take a whole financial system with them. But Americans, we believe that economic power is military power because we've made it so. That's how our system works. Uh, for us, it's not a question of diminishing our economy for the sake of military power. Our economy is viewed as the basis of our national security, and so it has. So what happens to our economy if our economy goes down? What happens to our military if our economy goes down? We expect mammon, at whose temple we worship, to marshal our military forces. But Mammon, ladies and gentlemen, is not a god of war. Instead, Mammon is a corrupter who confiscates the concrete of the nation and diverts it from fallout shelters to freeways. And so that's where I go on the issue of fiendish logic. Now, this is hard stuff. I know why my book hasn't sold a lot. But uh, if you're trying to get a message across, you're trying to get people to wake up and say, hey, we need to think different about our nation as a nation defending itself, these other countries being enemies, we won't acknowledge that they're enemies. 
and that the whole idea of nuclear war is the same as, oh, Columbus, you can't sail over there. You'll fall off the edge of the world. Nuclear war is the end of the world. We don't need to think about it because there isn't anything beyond it. If it happens, everything is destroyed anyway, so just forget about it. Uh Uh-uh. Wrong. Wrong. What goes on here is that if you have the worst kind of disaster you can imagine, there are still people, there's still society, Something survives. It's not as bad as you think it is. I got a a letter from a reader the other day. He was saying that in Chernobyl, the birds are nesting normally, the environment's recovering. And of course, the nuclear pollution from a Chernobyl is in some respects worse than a nuclear war's pollution. Their survival. You can live through it. You can survive. The birds and the bees are still there. And that means since life goes on, since Columbus doesn't fall off the edge of the world that you better be thinking about that new world that you're discovering. Okay, because that's going to be the world your children and your grandchildren, if they're lucky enough to survive, are going to live in. And if somebody doesn't start thinking about it now, where will we be? We don't want this to happen. We don't want this stuff to happen. But look, nobody's willing to do anything to stop it. Nobody's willing to be aware of it. So... I have another chapter in the book on treaties, how the Russians, the Russians basically break treaties just out of, just out of principle. And it's like I mentioned to the one reader that we're getting rid of our nuclear weapons. You know, there's been no real evidence that the Russians have destroyed their nuclear weapons, even according to the treaties they've signed. And according to the late Bill Lee, one of the top defense intelligence agencies experts, and I met him and spoke with him in Washington some years back, Uh, Bill Lee said that uh, Russia not only was not reliably disposing of its uh, seven or 8,000 warheads, but it had a much larger stockpile hidden that was totally unaccounted for, that was not even listed as part of what they had in the official uh, negotiations. So uh, uh, they violated the biological weapons agreements. Um, It's called the Geneva Protocol. They violated uh, chemical weapons agreements. They violated the, uh, of course, now they completely out of it, the uh, Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty. Uh, They were also caught red-handed violating the uh, Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. They were hiding intermediate range nuclear missiles in, in, in Slovakia and Bulgaria. And that was even a news item, and there was even an attempt to cover it up. And I know because I worked with the journalist who helped to bring that out. And uh, that was in, uh, I think that was in early 2000, first half of 2000. The situation in the world is, is that we, we look away. We don't want to say, oh, the Russians are cheating. Oh, it's, it's a few renegades from the old times. You know, They just don't know it's a new era that we're living in yet. They haven't discovered that. And I have to go back to why all these you know, people say, well, surely the CIA knows. Surely the U.S. government knows. Surely there's professors in our universities who are smart. Have we noticed yet that the whole education system in the United States is corrupt? It's corrupted with leftist, anti-American thinking. Have you been to a college lately? Have you heard a history professor, an English professor, a political science professor talk? Oh, there, there's some good professors left. There's good things happening here and there. But there's a, there's a pervasive culture, an anti-American culture. And if you wonder why kids are coming out of colleges now radicalized or turned against America or with all this stuff in their heads... There's anti-American propaganda being passed off as education of your children, and you're paying for it. Whether they're Ivy League schools or state schools, it's a very real problem. I am Jeff Nyquist. We'll be back with the Jeff Nyquist program after these messages. 
You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Plugging you into life. We are Live Radio 1020 WIBG. Whether it's Hurley in the morning, Henning in the afternoon, Dr. Jim Dobson in Focus on the Family. South Jersey's fastest growing Christian news talk. Now with more than a million listeners and hits at WIBG 1020. WIBG. 1020 WIBG. Or at WIBG.com. Plugging you into life. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and we're talking about the issue that I am most concerned with, the issue of the survival of the United States against its enemies and the refusal to recognize those enemies. I was talking about my book, which I started writing this book 20 years ago this month and uh, was published in in 1998 uh, when I appeared on the Art Bell Show at that time, and uh, and people started getting interested in my work. Uh, but um, I write in my book, in my seventh chapter, is a critique of American education. And uh, I, I have an interesting quote from Thomas Sowell. It isn't just, by the way, that the education system is filled with um, leftists. It's generally degraded in a lot of respects, not just in the level of the teaching, but in the commitment of the students. And uh, here's a quote from Thomas Sowell. This is taken from his uh, book, Education Assumptions Versus History, and he writes, Anyone who is taught in a typical American college is unlikely to be impressed by the urgency of students' desires for more education. He may even be painfully aware of their resistance to and evasion of education. Of course, it is still true that large numbers of people would like to be in college for reasons that range from the sublime to the ridiculous. Most of them see college as a way to get ahead. This is right on. This is exactly the problem. If you want to be educated, you don't need a degree. You need to read the classics. You need to feel an urgency to know, to become wise, to know what the great minds and the great thinkers of history wrote and set down and said. Today, it's about getting a grade. It's about getting a GPA. It's about getting a BA, MA, PhD, whatever. Those things have taken the place of real education so that the whole thing has become upside down. It's bad from beginning to end. The high schools, the junior highs, a lot of it has become nothing but overglorified babysitting. They don't make people do their homework. There's not discipline in the classrooms in a lot of schools in this country. And uh, children are graduating without knowing how to read. Or they know how to read, but they're functionally illiterate. They can't really carry off reading a, a book of moderate complexity. A sixth grade education of 100 years ago is worth more probably than junior college uh, degree would be now. In my book, I say that as a former educator, I believe that a process is underway and has been underway in the United States for many decades. It's inauthentic. Our educational system is a fraud because our values are all mixed up. When you you lose your intellectual integrity as a society, it affects your press, it affects your intelligence community, it affects your politicians, your businessmen, and the citizen in the street. And that's why we can get away with saying Russia's not our enemy, China's not our enemy, because we have learned that getting a grade and sort of faking it and inauthenticity and fraud is okay. So we defraud ourselves. Because, after all, now we're the shopping mall regime, it's all about hedonism, and we say what we want to feel better, And it feels better to think, oh, it's peace and we're not going to have a major war and Russia's not a problem. So it's all about feeling good. 
And I have to say that that is something that will rot you through and through very quickly. So my uh, my scorn on the educational system, I have to say, I've been there. I did a four-year degree. I was I did three years in graduate school. I know what I'm talking about. Now, ideology is another thing. What is ideology? It's, um, well, they're ideas that are bigger than facts. That's one way to put it. It's like when a person has an ideology, they don't have to know any facts. Their ideology gives them the answer to every question without having to reference any facts. They know that George Bush brought the World Trade Center down. They know that the CFR is conspiring to poison our bodily fluids. They know all that because they have an ideology. Or if they're a communist, they know that, you know, the workers are oppressed and they got to rise up and overthrow capitalism. It's going to happen because the crisis of capitalism, etc., etc. You know, you hear the story about the Nazis, you know, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. That's what the Nazis said. The Jews had done everything. They destroyed Germany. They sabotaged Germany. The Jews were the enemy of mankind. They were the enemy of the Aryan race. If we only exterminated or got rid of or shipped out the Jews, that's what the Nazis were preaching. So what did they do? They set up camps, labor camps, death camps. They killed Jews. They worked Jews. They took their property away. They herded them like cattle. It's the ideology. It doesn't matter that the Jews were harmless to the Germans, that the German Jews were a great asset to Germany. No, no, no. The, the, this ideology, this crazy stuff out of Hitler's mouth. People believe ideology. You know why? Because people want the big answers. See, they hear something and, oh, wow, it makes the world comprehensible. It's really simple, you know. Everything can be encapsulated in this and I don't have to study, I don't have to work hard and I don't have to have this big question mark hanging over me because I've got the answers. I've got ideology. And uh, we're poisoned by it. We've lost our taste for fact. We've lost our curiosity because ideology's taken it away. Yes, ideology. Beware of it. Look at it in yourself. Question. And of course, in my book, I, I criticize the left. Of course, you know why I'd criticize the left. Communism doesn't work. It's vicious ideology, gangster ideology, ideology of envy. And I criticize the right. And here's my criticism of the right. It's a little unexpected. The first line in my chapter on critique right is, the right is a fiction. Everyone is on the left. Think about it a minute. Think about how, if you consider yourself right wing, how disappointed every time and every right wing politician you see. Because he's not really right wing. The culture around him, it's, it's a shopping mall regime. It's all about lowering standards it's all about letting everything happen in a loose kind of way. You know, all, all our anti-communists, anti-leftists, anti-totalitarians, they're merely talkers. We just have not have that strong backbone. You know, it's the ancient Romans. They had Cato the philosopher who came out and uh, uh, spoke against the rising threat from Julius Caesar that he was wanted to become a dictator. They didn't listen to him. But he had spine. We don't even have a Cato. We didn't have somebody up there in the Senate anymore telling us like it is and warning us, hey, Hillary Clinton's dangerous. Hey, these leftists, these radicals, these conspiracy theorists, they're all dangerous. See, that's all the raw stuff of totalitarianism. See, totalitarianism, that's when a monomaniacal idea takes hold and, and people think, oh, we can kill those that we disagree with. So, uh, running out of time here, I had a chapter in my book Against History and Futurity, how we don't study history anymore and of course, uh, if you don't study history, how can you form the context for understanding the events of your own time? I have a chapter on scholars and intellectuals. We really failed in that department. 
And uh, I've got a chapter on organized crime in the fifth column and the basic uh, use of organized crime by our enemies in China and Russia. And uh, organized crime that exists in this country has become a means to political power. And, of course, my book goes into elements of strategy, goes into a scenario for how the Third World War would start. And let me just amend that this country has been attacked by terrorists. And it has been pointed out by more than one source from Eastern Europe that the terrorists are connected to the KGB, that Mohammed Atta was trained, Mohammed Atta of the 9-11 bombers was supposedly trained in a uh, communist terrorist training center in communist Czechoslovakia in the late 80s. There was this uh, alleged meeting between Mohammed Atta and uh, an Iraqi official just months before 9-11. Why was Mohammed Atta doing that? There is something further of interest. Alexander Litvinenko, the man who was poisoned last November by polonium-210, one of his last acts in his last years on this earth was to name Ayman al-Zawari, the man who probably runs al-Qaeda now, he named him as a KGB agent, a long-standing KGB agent. And the former head of the Romanian intelligence service, Ion Pesepa, wrote in National Review Online that he believed Alexander Litvinenko was assassinated because he made that revelation. That's how sensitive this information is. A Russian defector who writes under the name Viktor Suvorov wrote a book called Spetsnaz back in the 1980s. And he described the beginning of World War III as beginning with a series of terrorist attacks on the United States that would come from a mysterious organization or set of organizations that would have no apparent connection to Russia, but they would be controlled indirectly through intermediaries and mercenaries by Russia, that the attack would be a precursor attack, it would be used to demoralize and discredit the American leadership, and that it would eventually lead up to a crescendo from gray terror, as he called it, to red terror, the unleashing of Soviet rocket weapons on the United States. It's very interesting. When 9-11 happened, I perked up. All of a sudden, the writings of Suvorov became very important. There was another Russian defector who told me that if ever a nuclear weapon went off on American soil and we thought it was Arab terrorists, he told me, no, it would not be Arab terrorists. It would be Russian Spetsnaz pretending to be Arab terrorists. I want you to think about that. Defectors, they're like prophets. 94% successful prediction by Galitsyn in his 84 book. You pay attention to Galitsyn, Suvorov, Stanislav Lunev, Vladimir Bukovsky, Alexander Litvinenko. You pay attention to these people. Ayman al-Zawari is a Russian agent? Yeah, think about it. You don't need to have proof to at least be vigilant and to be alert. Well, we're out of time. This was my soapbox time. I hope you'll join me on the next show next week. Take care and hope you can sleep after hearing the show. You've been listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, please visit Jeff's website at jrnyquist.com. Again, that's jrnyquist.com. 